Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 85. There and back again. Especially the back again. Yay, back again. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back. It has been a long, long time. Um, it's been a long time that both Julius and I have been on here together. Hey, Julius. Hi there. I mean, it's not been so long. You've heard from us here and there, sort of. Sort of briefly. That's right. You've been doing. You've been doing a lot of stuff with the SoloCon, the Jankan SoloCon, which is awesome. That came out so great. Oh, that was amazing. That was so much fun. I really appreciate everyone coming out and doing that. It turned out great. I'm really looking forward to doing it next year. Yeah, yeah. That was really neat. I I was impressed with how that worked out. So this episode, you know, I don't think it's going to be a long one. I don't have a whole lot. Do you? We got some news. We got some reviews. We got a Kickstarter or two. All right. No no interviews or anything like that. Um, Should we jump into the news? Sure, Albert. All right. So first up on the news I have is a uh, Runebound is coming back. This is a game published by Fantasy Flight. It's been out of print for a couple years and it's gotten really expensive. The game is not officially a solitaire friendly game, but there are solitaire variants for the second edition. There is a new third edition, which is going to be different somehow. I don't know that it'll work for solitaire player or not, but it's something to keep an eye out. I know I've, I'm looking forward to, to that because hopefully it does support solitaire player. The game was designed by Daryl Hardy and Martin Wallace. Um, is there anything else I want to say about it? it? It's interesting because in this edition, there the I've seen a picture of the map, and there's no, well, in the, in the older edition, the terrain was all hexes, and you move from hex to hex. This one it looks like just a map, and I don't know if you're moving from region to region or just to specific locations or what. So, so the gameplay will definitely be somehow different. The second item I have, um, Hostage Negotiator, came out and is already sold out. The um. I know Cool Stuff Inc. had it on sale the day they released it. It was already sold out when I saw it. I think it's still available in some places. I believe that Miniature Market still has some copies of it. Um, and I know that, unfortunately, I actually don't have my own personal copy of it yet. <laughs> Not yet, okay. you got to fix that before it's too late. It is such a fun game. Well, I've been playing a borrowed copy. A friend backed the game, and I wanted to, so I pre-ordered my own copy from Miniature Market also. But they made an error sending me my copy, and they sent me basically an empty box instead. Ooh, nice. Um, okay. So I emailed them back, and they're very sorry, and they're sending me one out, hopefully, today. Okay. Or, it does yeah. say they're, they're out of stock also. So now it's it's gone everywhere. There is another printing. Um, hey, Jay said that it, there is another printing coming out, and that I believe that's in the works already. And I know that if you were waiting for the expansions for Hostage Negotiator, those never came to retail. Those are going to be coming out only for the next printing. They didn't have enough to, fill, to fulfill retail demand, so they just decided to hold on to those until next time. I see. Yeah, the, the, game, the game has done really, really well, and that, that's great news. I'm really happy about that. Another piece of news is the Solitaire Print and Play Contest has entered into the um, – I think it's the voting stage it's at, but at this point in time – Corrections are done. Everything is up and theoretically finished. And so now if you want to go on and play any of the print-and-play solitaire games, everything should everything that's available should be components ready and contest ready. And so now it's in its final stages. So now if you don't want to be messing with unfinished games, they're all finished and they're all up. And I know that I've played a couple of them. I've played four of them, and I'm really enjoying what is I'm playing so far with them. Very cool. And now so the voting period will go on for... I believe the next four weeks or so. 
If I, remember I correctly. believe that voting deadline is September 13th. The voting deadline is September 13th. So you still have some time if you want to print it out and play it. Or if you're uh, someone who does digital versions, I know that there's um, some there on Vassal and some on Tabletop Simulator. So there's ways of also playing this if you want to play digital and not have to print it all out. Have you played any from the print to play contest yet? I have not. I haven't done any print and play lately. Oh, okay. <laughs> I should. I, I feel bad for that. I know so far my favorite from the contest is uh, Deep Space D6, which I think I mentioned before. I really like that one. The the next piece of news is the One Player Guild now has 3,000 members. And, and this is breaking news because it just happened moments ago. Right before we started recording, I made a post that we're one member short of 3,000. So that, that's pretty exciting. That's that's a lot of people that like solitaire games. Glad to see everyone. Mm-hmm. And again, listeners, if you're not a member of the One Player Guild, shame on you. You should really go join it. It's a great resource and it's it's just a lot of fun there. Unless you're a sock puppet. <laughs> yeah, sock puppets. Well, they have fun too, though. It's fun to be a sock puppet. And, and just in case you don't know, it is on BGG. If you keep wondering why we talk about it, but you have no idea what we're talking about, go visit boardgamegeek.com and search for the One Player Guild there. I think we actually do link to it from our website, that oneplayerpodcast.com, and that's one with a number. That That's easier to find. There you go. All right, that's all the news I have. I think that's... Uh, no, actually, I do have... Um, one more, one post, uh, speaking of the guild, someone had posted up a question about whether or not you enjoy, um, if you had to choose about gaming only alone or gaming only with other people, which would you choose? Did you see this post? I did see that. That, I think that's a tough question. I like both, you know, but if you had to pick only one, which would you choose? Oh gosh. I I would probably pick gaming with other people. Mm, Me too. I think I would. I also think I would choose gaming with other people. I like gaming alone, but I think that if it was a choice of one or the other, I'd probably pick gaming with other people. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, they, they both have their, their benefits in, in different ways. Gaming, I like gaming solo because a lot of times it feels very much like a puzzle, and I enjoy working out those puzzles. But games against other people tend to be more dynamic, and any given game you have will last a lot longer. <laughs> That's I true. Think, just because of that. That's true. Plus, it's a, you know, for me personally, it's a fun thing to do with friends and yeah. Things like that. But anyway. That's right. And uh, feel free. If anyone else, uh, any listeners want to post their own opinions on that, there's a thread going on in the guild. And uh, feel free to post your own opinions. Uh, Kickstarter report? Sure. Doop, 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 doop. Let's see here. I saw a game today at the game store that was uh, from Kickstarter. They, they considered backing it, didn't. Which game? Uh, something about Dreams. It was, it was a one or two player game. And I remember when it was on Kickstarter, I had these pictures, sort yeah. of pretty dreamlike pictures of bears and stuff. Teddy bears. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let me see if I can find it. I saw it and I was like, oh, that's so neat. Because that, it was very much an independent publish game. And I thought about backing, I think I did. And then it hit his Pleasant Dreams. And it was nicely packaged. The box looks like a. Um, Solo friendly? Like a book. Yeah, one or two players. Interesting. Let me pull it up and see if I do, what I want to say about it. I have not heard of such a game. <laughs> and for size comparison, there's a picture of the game, a regular deck of cards, and a banana. <laughs> Why? That's, that's funny. <laughs> a banana, of course. So wait, did you you thought it was good back then, too? It sounded interesting. I didn't back it. I don't remember why. Um, it, it didn't sound very deep, but the art I thought was really nice. Oh, that is a messed up bear 
I'm, I'm looking at some yes. of the art and it appears that there's good dreams and nightmare dreams. And yes. so the good dreams have this bear, this nice little stuffed bear on a dark background looks sort of good night moonish. And so it's a stuffed bear and it says time for bed and, you know, nice, nice font. And then the, the nightmare bears is the bear with, with a big gash across its neck, seeping blood and etched on the front of the car is crawling out of your head and it's in red and just bloody and ooh gosh it's a scary yeah, bear it is it's not a game for kids if i remember correctly the bear this these four cards represent your health or something like that. and so you know you start okay and eventually you, you could die it, okay looks about like the only one i want to be <laughs> yeah what well, yeah the bear but it was neat to see that game. It was neat to see a Kickstarter game by an independent publisher at, at the game store. Mm-hmm. It is. I know that probably. I know that uh, if you're on Twitter, um, taking pictures of those sites with the developers, they'd love seeing those. <laughs> Just because it's fun seeing your stuff actually get in hand. I know I was speaking with another developer at one point about after you go through everything and you get that first production copy. And just so much time and so much of your effort and your life has just been built up with this and you're holding it in your hand. And just it's an amazing feeling to have. Yeah, that is neat. I can imagine. All right. So anyway, talk, going on with the um, Kickstarter report, first game that I wanted to call out was... Um, okay. A cooperative game. Another superhero cooperative game. Well, I don't know how many other ones you you have. Nope. It just seems like there's a lot lately. Um. The only ones that I know of that I personally like are Sentinels and Sentinels. <laughs> yep, can't think of any others that I like. Heroes Wanted? No, I actually don't like Heroes Wanted. You don't like? Okay, personally. I like it because it's goofy and because there's so many different powers. Well, here there's actually a bunch of different powers, speaking of. The the way it works in this one is that you have um, a superpower uh, you have one of the six-player boards, so that defines the the sort of overarching main power. So, for instance, you could be wizard or angel or warrior or sentinel, and those are your player boards. But in addition to having your player boards, you can also have a power card and an identity card, and those will also give you extra other special things, like your identity could be, you know, you're a newspaperman, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so that gives you something, and you also get a superpower card, which gives you, you know, the ability to be super strong or to have frost breath or lightning bolts, and all of that goes into tie different how it works. So it's not as many as in um, in Heroes Wanted, but there's a lot of different hero cards and hero abilities that can tie into the game. Um, another interesting thing about this one is actually the board setup is it's a hex based board. So the city is built by randomly selecting the tiles from the city and then laying it out. So each time you set up the board, the way the board looks is going to be different because of the different way that the tiles are going to be coming out. Okay. Very cool. So it looks pretty. And there's also different, uh, nemesis and bad guys and objectives because each time there's a deck of different objective cards, there's ones, twos, threes and fours and so each time you play you're going to have different objective cards that are going to be active so the way you win the game is going to be different okay that's very nice so there's a lot of variety in the game there's a lot of variety in the game but i don't think i quite summarized how it is that you play so um the way it works is that each player has their their player card 
So they have their player board, their superpower, and their identities. Um, so altogether, there are 90 different hero personas in the game that you can put mm-hmm. together. Um, and then okay. you'll also get different upgrade abilities, and you'll have other you know, sidekick heroes. And um, what you're doing as you're going through the game is you're um, playing... I was chatting about this before Gen Con with the designer when they sent me all sent me all their stuff. So they sent me a their uh, sheets, their promotional sheets for this, and I thought it looked really cool. But the promotional sheets were were interestingly done. The promotional sheets they were not designed to be shown to me as much as just seeing the as much as seeing the game would have. But um, they were designed as if a um, newspaper art writer from Hero City had been writing all the articles about how it is that you play, which just sounds, sounded cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so Red Cool wasn't so good for just playing the game, but I mean, since then, now it's public, and you, know, you have various other reviews that are going on, both visual reviews and things like that. So it's just funny to see how things change depending on how early on in it you get. Yeah, that's, that's neat. The art looks really nice, too. looks like good comic book art. Mm-hmm. Well, neat. And this game... You could get it for $45 at the lowest level. Yeah, this is a minis game. So this is another one of those expensive ones. You can get the minis only for $45 or you can it's $85 for the whole game with a whole pile of minis. I don't let's see how many minis does it have? Yep. The, the 85 is a early bird and there's only one left. So otherwise for everybody else it'll be 90. So it's got 30 miniatures, 30 minis in it. And a bunch of tokens and boards and things like that. But it's got 30 minis in it. Cool. The school bully, fire breathers, hired thugs, the nemesis, the nemeses, <laughs> the nemesis eyes. Nemesis The bad guys. <laughs> the bad guys. It's very comic y book. Like the, the wound tokens are pows. That's how you show that you've been hit. Very comic y feeling. Oh, neat. Okay. So, yeah, so you're using your actions, you're moving around, you're doing stuff, you're beating people up. Looks like it'll be fun. Very cool. Ooh. Anyway, so that's... And who's next? That's Central City. Go on. Um, the next one I wanted to show you was Star Patrol, which when I saw this one come up, I immediately thought of you, Albert. Immediately. <laughs> Why is that? Let me see. Have I seen this one? Star Patrol. I like the title. That sounds cool. And it's only $11. Oh, that's it. It is only $11. This is another pocket option game, and I think that you backed the previous one, Lords of the Dead, I believe it was called. Yes. Um, so this is in the same line. So this is another tribute to the cheap Hex Encounter games from before. And so this time, what you're doing is you're designing and building custom ships. And so here you get um, your ship boards, and you're putting together what stuff your ship has, where it's moving. I like one thing about it is the the system plays like you would expect a ship to play. So when you activate thrust, you activate thrust in a certain direction, and all that does is it adds inertia. It's not like you say, I'm going two slots mm. this way. You add inertia, and then you keep going that way until you counter thrust. So it runs like a real ship, which I thought was interesting. And this supports solitaire play? I thought that none of his other games that he had designed so far supported solitaire play. Yeah, it does support solitaire mm-hmm. play. It's one to three players. Ah, okay. 
I don't know the mechanics for how it is that it plays solitaire, though. I mean, Lord of the Dead was also solitaire friendly. Yeah, that one. That one's also friendly. Did you get a copy of it yet? I did. I got it a few weeks ago. Thumbs up. Uh, I haven't really had a chance to look through it yet. Haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, it's a super tiny game though. Really, it comes in an envelope. Uh, the Kickstarter was so well run. the The guy was great about communication. You knew everything that was going on, every single step. Um, explained all sorts of details about how he came up with the price for it, how it's so cheap, and you know what he had to do to make that work. It was really, you know, it was worth backing just to learn. We have nothing else. Yeah. So this one also comes turn. really small. This one's also coming just in a Ziploc bag, no box. Okay. But at least this time, I don't think he's putting the rules on the back of the board. So, okay. As you recall, when uh, when he was doing Lords of the Dead, I was like, I don't understand why you put the rules on the back of the board. I just don't see the rules being mentioned as being included anywhere. So I'm not quite sure how that's working at all. There are cards yeah. that summarize rules for items, but I'm not quite sure where the rules are. Okay. In in the Lord of the Dead, he he did that because because of the weight. Right. You know, he had the weight down to the. I don't know what decimal number, but it was super precise. He could not add anything else. Anyway, so with this one, yes, it's got 135 counters. Whole ton of counters for weapons, ships, upgrades, fuel, crew, uh, Ziploc bags, weapon upgrades, cards. So very customizable to really you know, check out what it is that you want to do with your ships and your opposition. In addition to just having pre-built ships, if you don't want to mess with having to build your own ship, so it does come with five pre-built ships. Oh, nice. Uh, I'll check this one out again. You're in. Maybe, at that price. Can't go wrong. Hopefully not. But yeah, so, uh, yeah, you're building your own ship, flying around, and beat up the other person. Starship battles. Nice physics. That's that's one thing I really like about that, is that they did that inertia thing. Yeah. Where it's really not that you, like in some other games, you know, like um, Attack Wing and X-Wing, you're like, I want to fly over here and then just stop. Yeah, nope. and you can. That's not a problem. Nope. <laughs> Doesn't work that way in this one because that's, that's, that's not how physics work. You have inertia and there's nothing to slow you down unless you counter thrust. And that's how it works here, which I thought was neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's an email. And that is tricky to play with. Have you played any games that have that? I have played some games that play it, but not okay. in a... Uh, analog system only digital systems before it's fun okay. to play with it. it it takes some brain power it takes some thinking but i think that's more along the lines of what you're looking for if you're trying to play a classic hex encounter game you're not trying to look for something light i mean in comparison to i think x-wing this is probably going to be heavier than something like x-wing which is okay yeah i think you're right which i'm okay with i think that it, i think that for what it's doing it's it's pretty on on par it's pretty cool well, very neat. And I think the art on this one also is uh, pretty nice. I like the nice star field and the, the sort of cartoony graphics for the things. They, they they pop quite nicely, I think. They do, yeah. And the colors are all very bright and everything. Which is really needed when you're having a, such a small game, but I think it's quite, it pops nicely. And this one, we have 21 days to go. That's right. So it funds on September 1st. That's right. And that's all I got for the Kickstarter part this time. All right. Very cool. Um, so then let's go on to the next segment, which is our game review. So we're going to talk about two games today. So the first game is The Hero's Journey Home. It's by Graham Cranfield, and this is a one or more player game. I'm not sure how many it supports. Hero's Journey Home. Let's take a look and see how much it's supposed to support. I think it's one or two. 
No, it's one through three. One through three. I know we played it one player and two player. Did you? Okay. Yes. And let me tell you, my wife has never been more interested in flipping the table. Really? <laughs> she did not enjoy the game? Uh, yeah, no, she did not. Well, let, let's describe the game. This is a small, independently published game. Um, it came out this year. It supports one to three players. And the, the idea behind this game is you are an adventure and you went on a journey and you finished your adventure, but now now you need to get home. And, you know, the way there was uh, fraught with peril, the way back is also fraught with peril. So now you need to survive the way home. And you get much more stuff on the way home than you got on the way there. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? So the game is uh, its all made of cards and, and some dice. Oh, actually, a bunch of dice. I think it has like 30 dice or so, 20 or 30 dice. Uh, D6s and a couple D20s. Um, there's a few different types of cards. There's hero cards. I believe there's 19 different hero cards. There are there's spell cards. That some heroes get spells, depending on the type of hero. There There is the monster that you fought that you'd pick a card randomly and that tells you how many hero points you have to start with. And I guess I should say all the hero cards are ranked from number 1 through 19 and that's basically their combat strength. Uh, you also get an artifact that you took from the monster which will give you some sort of benefit th- during the game. And then there's a whole bunch of quest cards that you go through in your in your journey. The way the game works it's very basic. You're going to you're going to pick your heroes, equip them with uh, any spells if they get any spells. And then start flipping over the quest cards one at a time and dealing with that card. There's a couple different kinds of cards. Some are locations. They do different things. Um, you just do whatever it says on that card and then go on to the next. These locations don't They're, typically have any options or questions about what it is that you do. They just tell you, this happened, yeah. do it, and then move on. That's right. The There's monster cards, which you have a choice of fighting or bribing them and avoid fighting them. And the combat is is done by rolling dice. You compare your strength against his strength, and you roll some dice. Well, well you compare the well, two the values to works, get a target. The way number. it works is you have to total up everything that helps with your attack, basically, and their defense. So they all the my, everyone has a base stat, which is going to be for both attack and defense. They'll have the base stat. And then you'll go through all of the cards that you'll have equipped because over time you'll get more equipment. So you'll look for all of your swords and you'll add that to your base stat. Then you'll go and look for all of his armor and add all of his armor to his base stat. The game comes with a lookup table, which is sort of just uh, – I think it's just um, subtracting one from the other. But you look yeah. it up on a lookup table. And you figure out what the difference is. So let's say that he's at 19 and you're at 11. So it'll be an 8. So in that case, what you have to do is you have to roll your die. And if you get your your one single die over, I think usually it's just one die. If you get it over an 8, then you hit for one. You hit for a point. If you didn't go over an 8, then you didn't hit. Yep, that's basically it. Now, you do also add 10, so your target in that case was 18. So it's even harder. Yes. But, um, and you, you roll one die if you're at strength one, two dies if you're above one. And I lived a lot of the and game on one, at, on one health point. Yeah. You start at three, so, so you start rolling two dice, but yeah, you could, you could quickly drop. Um, 
The combat is pretty straightforward. Each hero, we already said, has has a value, right, from 1 through 19. The monsters also have a value. The creatures attack starting from the lowest all the way up to the highest. So that's how you determine the initiative. Um, now, each hero is going to have a different ability. Some give the monsters a, maybe a bone or subtract from his total number to hit. Some might let you attack twice. So one lets you put the monster to sleep. So there are all these different abilities, and you can choose to either attack or use the ability in some cases, or some abilities are just automatic. Um, so when you pick which heroes to start with, you know it, it's going to affect how you play a little bit. So you're going to go through, you're going to fight the monster and either defeat him or, or not defeat him, and then you lose. If you defeat him, you collect some money for fighting him, and then you go on to the next card. And you keep doing this until you reach the home card, which is buried somewhere in the bottom half of that quest deck. And that's basically the gameplay right there. It is very straightforward and very simple. It is also very, very luck-driven. Um, for example, there's one monster, the Leviathan. If he shows up at the wrong time, like say the first half of the game, you're very likely to lose against him, and, and the game's over. I had that happen a few times. In the last game I played, my heroes came across the Leviathan... They were pretty weak. They had a slight chance to defeat him, but then the Leviathan swallowed my my main hero, and the game was over, <laughs> just like that. You also have sometimes um, where it just takes a, a bunch of time to actually resolve the full battle because it's not the first to hit which wins. It's just every hit reduces life by one. So if you encounter, I think it's the Golem, who has a low attack but high life, you're going to be sitting there rolling for a while because you have to keep knocking him down. And so each time you roll, you have to recheck and see if you hit him. Meanwhile, he has to and see if he hit you. So there's not very much damage going back and forth, so you'll just sit there rolling for a bit. That's right. And, and if you got to roll like a, a 13 or 14 to hit, the, you can hit less than half a time. So it takes a while. It could definitely take a while. And this game is slow that way, unfortunately. It's um, it's very straightforward, and the gameplay is a little bit slow. But I thought the story in it developed interestingly, or it could sometimes, when when you do cards like the Leviathan and you're trying to see what happens, and maybe he eats your character or whatnot. Do you want to talk about the spells? So the, Yeah, so there's a deck of spells. I think there's, I don't know, maybe a dozen spells or so. I'm not sure how many. And you could pick them, and they do different things. Um, one spell may, for example, just let you avoid the fight by traveling forward through time or something like that. Uh, another spell might let you control the monster. And, and there's different things. So with those spells, um, they can be powerful, but they actually usually take life points to actually cast the spells. So there's there's no mana in the game. It takes life points in order to be able to use it. So each time you do it, you're going to be potentially rolling less dice later. So I, I, didn't, I didn't use spells... Very often, I suppose. It just wasn't very often. It didn't feel to me like it was a great decision to use those spells. But the spells can be crucial about what it is that you spend them. Yep, that's right. Um, my other impression of this game was the, the production quality is real. Is actually really neat. The, the, for an independently published game, it comes in a burlap bag. It almost feels like, you know, if you had gone on an adventure and you came across a treasure that was trapped in not trapped, but wrapped like in some cloth of some kind. And and you open it up and you pull it out. And it, it's a really neat experience, I think, opening it up and pulling it out. Um, and then I also really like the art in this. All the art 
is hand-drawn illustrations, cartoons by the, the designer himself. So there's also art on – there's paper money in this game, card money in the game. So all of that, there's also uh, art on the paper money as well. Yep. And every single card, other than, I guess, the money, which all the money looks the same, all the hundred blues look the same, every single card has unique art. That's not entirely true. I mean, like, there's one card, Ambush, there's three or four copies of that one. Those three or four Ambush cards are all the same. But there's easily, I don't know, it's over 100 cards in the deck, there I think, are. in the game. And, I, and it probably close to 100 pieces of art. And I know that, uh, for me, I, I um, looked over some of the art also, and as I played through a game with my wife, uh, we looked through some of the art. Well, a lot of the art is... Uh, I, I'll say all the art is good art. All the art is well done, but some of it is kind of disturbing, I thought. I don't know if you had a similar yeah. feeling, but some of it just feels um, just disturbing in its in its nature. I don't think I really got that until I was almost holding the cards in hand and really almost being confronted with it. But some of it, some of it was a little disturbing. I agree, but you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the disturbing art, too. Um... So I had fun with that. It, it's not a game I would play with my kids, though. No, it certainly I think isn't. it's definitely for mature audiences. It certainly isn't. And I know that uh, for my wife, we were playing through it, and when that golem card came up and we just you know rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled, she said, I'm bored. I don't want to... I don't want to finish anymore because because it just there wasn't much that you're doing. This sort of feels like a very on-rails game. For most of the game... Really what you're doing is you're just sort of experiencing whatever the deck has. And you'll turn over the deck and you'll do what it says and you'll roll to see what it is. But uh, the, the, the most amount of decision making that I saw in the game were when you're able to throw out a spell at someone. And you sort of just have to be watching the rails to see what it is that you want to throw out a spell. Because other than that, I mean, you could decide if you want to spend your gold on an item but typically the items are better than gold because you'll need the items to beat the enemies as they come up later. So it wasn't often really a tough decision about whether or not to get them. So I feel like the spells were, were really the only main decision, which meant for me that a lot of the game I was just rolling, I was just turning over cards, I was just on rails, and it was very automatic for me. And just, you know, I'd, I'd rather have more decision being made. Even though I'm fine with a game being based on luck, I'd like it to move if if it's on rails, the rails part should move faster. It shouldn't be that most of the game is the rails part and the decisions is a small part of the game. That's just not something that I personally enjoy. Mm-hmm. I did find that I think after a few plays, I started realizing that you know I don't always want to buy everything. you need to sort of plan ahead to. Um, and for example, that Leviathan monster he could he is so such a tough enemy to, to fight. It's almost worth saving your money and not buying stuff just so you could pay him off and, and not fight him. I think I think it would cost like 2,000 gold to pay him off, which is, is, is a lot, mm-hmm. but it's definitely doable. Like that one game, if I had if I had not bought armor, I could have won for sure. Yeah, but I know that for me, I tried doing that, but then I reversed time to see what would happen if I didn't make the decision. Mm-hmm. And so two turns later, I didn't have any armor, and so I couldn't pay off anybody, and now I'm losing because I don't have armor. Okay. So I, I just that that real the one time I went back and did that, it just didn't seem to make that much of a difference. Okay. Yep. So 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 that's Hero's Journey Home. Um, I mean, it's a light game. I, I guess I enjoy it mostly for the art, which is which I thought was really good. 
Should we move on to nations? Yes, let's move on to nations. I have a lot to say about that. Okay. So our next game is Nations, the dice game by uh, by Rustin Hawkinson. Um, Beautifully pronounced. This is... Thank you. <laughs> this is a sequel to Nations, the card game, which came out... Was it about two years ago now? And I covered in the podcast about a year and a half ago. It was wintertime. Yeah, wintertime when I first moved into this That's house. Right. The... Um, so the dice game is based on it. It's very similar. If you've played one, the other one will feel very familiar and very comfortable. The idea, this is a... What kind of game is this? This is a civ building game. and But you're using dice and it's very... I don't know what I'm saying at all. Shall I start? Go for it, please. So in Nations the Dice Game, the game is played with, lo and behold, dice and a bunch of tiles. Um, there's not really very many cards. The game comes with six cards, and unless you're the type of person who keeps cards for languages that you don't read, uh, or unless you read a bunch of languages, you'll probably end up throwing two of those cards away. Um, English is only printed on four of the cards. That's right. And the cards are just to determine player order. And the cards are just to determine player order, and they also are cheat sheets for what's on the dice, what you can do on your turn, and... Um, how points are calculated in a specific way. We'll get to that in a second. So for Nations of the Dice Game, there's going to be four ages. And you'll start with the first age with just the white dice. Now, the white dice are the most versatile, but also the weakest type of dice. On each of their six sides, they have each of the six different resources. The six different resources are gold, swords, stone, food, books, Reroll? No. No, it's not a reroll. That's a chit. I'm trying to look at pictures. Wow, we are so good. It's been a while. It's not Ooh, been a while because stone. my wife just beat me in it not an hour ago. Oh. <laughs> no shame on you. I've played this a bunch online, and um, I've played it a number of times online, and I think I've won all but once online, and I cannot beat my wife on at this game. <laughs> I cannot beat her. I've played her now three times in this game, and I cannot beat her. It has something on there twice. There's only five symbols. Does it now? It's got gold twice. It's got gold twice. No wonder she's beating me. She, she knows what's on the dice. I'll pretend you didn't say that because the mic didn't pick you up. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway. It's got five anyway. symbols on it. Six if you count gold twice. It's got gold, stone, food, swords, and books. Now, each of these symbols are used for different things and get you points in different ways. On the board, and we'll just discuss the one-player setup. We'll discuss the four-player variant in a second. Um, and it's not actually a variant. But um, when you set up the board, there'll be a three-by-three three square. And you'll lay out nine random tiles on that three-by-three three square. The first set of tiles will cost one gold to, to buy and put in your area space. The second row of tiles will cost you two gold. The third row will cost you three gold. So having extra gold is useful, but sometimes, especially if you roll a gold die with three gold on it and you only want the first one, you don't get any change. So it's nice to sort of have that versatile die that you could potentially use it for more things, except that it's also nice to be able to get the more high up things without having to spend multiple dice on it. The 
uh, the basic type of uh, the the different type of tiles are um, the tiles that you bring into your player board and they replace and give you more dice. You only yep. their buildings. You only have five slots for the building tiles, and those are the ones that have the blue border on them. Each time you bring a tile into your player board, a building tile into your player board, you have to cover up an old building. When you cover up an old building, you have to give back the dice that came with that building, and then you get to take dice for the new building. Now, the advantage of that is you can give back dice that you've already spent and take back dice that aren't spent. So if you buy a building that gives you a white and a gold die, for instance, and you cover up a building that just gave you a white die, you can put back a white die and take back a white die, and so that way you get more life from your dice. So the building tiles That's are right. So you basically, yeah, you, you, for example, could use the die you just spent to buy that tile with, turn it in, and get a new die, which you can now use again. So those are what the, the building, the blue tiles die, oh. the blue tiles do. Those, you, those usually, actually, I think those only ever give you dice, except for in the fourth round when yes. you can use them to get a point each. If the, some of them will come out in the fourth age that can get you a point. But except for the fourth age, what those will do is they'll get, those will get you better and better dice. Um, the gold dice, I'll interject what the different dice do now. The gold dice are the ones that let you get more gold and a little bit more food. The red dice are the ones that let you get more swords. The blue dice are the ones that get, let you get more books or more stone. And the white dice are the ones that are the versatile ones. So the swords have two uses in game or three uses in game. Actually, there's also green tiles on the board. The green tiles, instead of being costing gold, so they cost swords. And again, it's one, two, or three based upon what level they're on on the grid. When you buy the, the, the colony tiles, they'll get you some mix between chits and victory points. Now, the chits are special um, chits that you get that give you only one type of resource. So you might get a sword chit. Now, it's not something you have to roll, so it's something you'll always know you'll have every turn. But on the other hand, it doesn't give you the versatility of a die to be able to use it for multiple purposes, depending upon what comes up. So the calling tiles will give you a mixture between points and chits, depending upon the value of the calling tile and what age you're in. So, for example, in the last age, none of them will ever give you any chits. You can't get chits in the last age. They'll only give you points. Now, another thing, nice thing about the calling tiles is they don't take up a space on your board. You could take as many colonies as you want and just keep adding on. The second thing that count that the swords yeah. can do is at the end of every round, the very end, if you have enough swords, and the amount of swords you have is randomly determined each time by another set of tiles, but if you have enough swords, you'll be able to use those swords to get some extra points. So, for example, in the first age, it can be either one or two swords, and it's random, but if you have enough swords, you'll get one victory point. The last thing that the swords do is they determine player order. Whoever, before spending those swords for war, has the most swords is going to be first player next turn. Now, this doesn't matter for solo play, because in solo play, he always plays last. But for multiplayer, so that's an interesting dynamic between swords, about is it more important for you to spend the swords on the colonies, or is it more important for you to hold on to the swords and get first player? Because, I mean, first player means you get dibs on whatever you want, especially those cheaper tiles. 
And you also get some victory points if you hang on to them. Only if you trade right? them in at the end of the round. They're not worth victory points automatically. Swords only worth victory points if you have enough to match it. So if the yep. tile, for example, if you're in stage two, stage three, and it says you need five swords and you only have four, all four of those mm-hmm. swords are useless or wasted. You can't do anything with them. That's right. And, and we sort of we sort of jumped ahead here, but at the end of each age, there's going to be a couple of things that happen, right? And one of them is you're going to see if you can feed your population. If you have enough food, you get some victory points for them. And another thing that will happen is you can um, – you see how many swords you have, right? If you have enough swords for – I forget what that section is called. But if you have enough swords, you'll get victory That's points for the swords. That's called famine and war. Famine and war, okay. That's what the food the food points do. So um, so that's what the colony tiles do. So I was trying to go through the, the, the different tiles. Um, yep. The next type of tile are your wonder tiles, and these are going to be the brown tiles. What you do is you those will cost gold, and so you'll trade in gold to buy them, and you'll put them in construction. You can then finish them by spending stone. So each one will have a different amount that it'll say in its corner about how much stone it'll have to finish it. So between one in the early rounds to seven in the late rounds. And those will give you victory points and sometimes they'll also give you other chits. So it's the, the more expensive they are in relation to their victory points, the more chits they'll potentially give you. So for example, one that only costs two stones for three victory points won't give you a chit. But if it's three stones for three victory points, it will give you a chit, just for example. You can have as many completed wonders as you want, but you can only have one in creation at a time. Yep, that's right. So if you if you have a wonder that you've bought, but you haven't finished building it yet, and you, another wonder comes along that you really want, you either have to finish that first one, or, or buy the other one and give up that one and just never get to finish so it. So the last type of tile are the advisor tiles. And these will also cost gold. But instead of giving you more dice, what they do is they'll give you reroll tokens. So, um, And the amount of reroll tokens they'll give you changes as you go through. So for instance, in the first age, I believe that they'll only give you one victory point, one token. Um, the second one, they give you two reroll chits. Third, it's two reroll chits and one point. And the last round, they actually only give you two points. They don't give you any reroll chits. And again, if you buy an advisor and you already have the already have an advisor there, you have to give back those reroll chits, and you can give them back from your exhaustive pool. So it's a good way of refreshing if you want to get more reroll chits. Now these reroll chits are one of the main ways of controlling the luck factor of the game because since this is a dice game, you can roll it and you can get nothing that you want. You can get a die roll that does not fit at all into what it is that you're trying to do. So you can use these reroll chits to take your chance to reroll your dice, to reroll your dice and try and get a luckier roll. And as you get better advisors, you have more options and more chances for rerolling. Yep. And everyone also starts out the game with one reroll chit. So even if you don't have any advisor, you at least have one chance to reroll. That's right. And so when you start the game, you have the one reroll chit, one gold, and five white dice. So we've gone through each of the different types of resources except one. So we've talked about gold, which is used for buying various tiles on the board. We've talked about swords, which are used for war first player and getting colonies. We've talked about food, which is only used for getting... Um, extra victory points at the end of each round. 
And we've talked about stone, which is used to, to, to build wonders. The last type of resource you can have are books or knowledge. Whoever has the most knowledge in a round, so they get, well, actually, it's not even the one who has the most. Um, if you have more books than another player, you get points equal to the amount of players behind you. So in a three-player game, if you have the most books, you get two points. In a two-player game, you get one point. Now, for two players or solo, if you are in the lead, you actually get two points for having the most books. So books are very useful because when you build anything else, gold that you use now, it doesn't matter if you bought it from the three gold slot or the one gold slot. It doesn't matter as long as you take into your area. But books, that value will stay with you for now and until the end of the game. You'll continue to build on that as you go. So if you manage to roll really well on books early game and you get a whole bunch of books, you can expect that you'll be able to dominate on books for the rest of the game also. That's right, and that that's two points per age. That's eight points, which which is pretty substantial in this game because I think the, a, a typical good score is probably around thirty like thirty five points or so. I think that the highest solo game rating for online on Botajo is oh, it's actually fifty points. That's the best score. Wow, that's a really wow. good score. That's really high. It's that's, extremely that's lucky rolling. But the best average score is thirty eight. Okay. I believe that, and that, and that's not easy to get. That that, that is the best. That's average. hard. I highly doubt that's the average. Okay. Average. Yeah, no. I think I've played thirty-five times, mostly solo, and I think I got thirty-nine ones, maybe thirty-eight ones. Ooh, that's a good score. Yeah, it was ones, and most of my games are between thirty and thirty-five. Yeah, my highest is thirty-four. And so, so we talked about the components. We well, ta- how does the solo mode work? Um. Be- before we get that, should- do we describe the game turn? We- we've sort of talked about it, but we haven't... Oh, no, the- we have not... Dis- well, you buy stuff. Right. Well, first, the-, there's- the turn has a couple parts. First, you lay out all the tiles on the board. You don't lay all the tiles because I think there's 16 tiles that come in for each age in the game, and you're only laying out nine. So you don't know what's going to be available in-, in-, in any given game. In one game, you might play... And there's no wonders at all in any age. In another game, there might be a lot of wonders. It just it depends what you draw. Um, but you can the first part of the game, you're gonna buy tiles. Once once everybody has passed, and if you're the only player, once you have passed, um, the round goes into the last section, which you you do f- the books first. You, you score up your books, get any victory points for that. You then do the famine, which you need to feed people. If you do feed them, you'll get victory points. And then you'll do war, which again, if you succeed, you'll get you'll get some victory points. And the way you determine that, at the beginning of each age, you're going to flip a tile over for that age, telling you how much food you need and how many swords you need to succeed in, in war. There's, I believe, there's four tiles per age that come with the game for that. So, so one of four different possible will happen each each age. Um, once you've gone through all that, you know, bought all your tiles. Went through the the books and scoring the famine war. The age is over. You remove any tiles that are still on the board off the board, and draw nine new tiles for the next stage, as well as the um, the event t- tile to tell you how much famine and war you gotta have to score that. And, and you do this four times. And that's basically the game, right? So so that's how the game plays. So now we're gonna talk. The solo play has an AI that you're playing against. 
Um, I think it's a pretty good AI. It doesn't try to mimic a player. It try it mimics the effect it has on a player. What does it do? The way it works with the soul plays, you get a D four, um, and you roll the D four, and whatever number it is that it comes up, you remove the lowest tile from one of those columns. One through three, you remove one. If it's a four, you don't remove any. Similarly, if it comes up on an empty column, you don't remove any. So in that one, it's just a race to make sure that you get what you want before the random die roll takes it away. In addition, for books, at the beginning of each age, the dummy player will get a number of blue dice. Excuse me. A number of blue dice equal to the age. So in the first age, it gets one, then two, then three, then four. And it rolls those, and it gets books equal to those rolls. So you'll know in advance how many dice it's going to get, so for how much it is that you need to beat it. So you know at the beginning of the age how how many books it has for that age already. So you don't, you know, if he rolls really well, you could say, well, you know, I'm not going to bother because he's rolling so well, I'm not going to bother trying to get books. If he rolled really low, you know, just need a couple books to stay ahead of him. So one other thing, by the way, that we need to mention just for reducing and mitigating luck is the fact that you can trade in any two dice to be either a food, a book, or a gold. So even if a dice aren't completely helpful to you, you still have the ability to mitigate to some degree by trading in for a different resource, which can help if you just need you know, that one more stone to build that wonder. It can still have some use. That's right. And that's not entirely bad because if you trade two, two white dice that came up with books and you don't really want books for a gold that you then buy a building with, you're going to be able to get, turn one of those dice in and get something else. You're going to get one of your dice back anyway, potentially. And, and that's not too bad. So so in the solo game, the way the round works is you're always going to go first. You're going to roll the dice. Well, in, in, any, in any game, no matter how many number of players are, at the first time you roll during that age, you roll all your dice, and that's what you have available for the age. Um... You can then start buying. You take turns buying tiles. In each turn, you have one of three actions. You could buy a tile, you could build a wonder, or if you have a reroll token, you could reroll. Those are your three choices each each turn. And you keep doing stuff until you pass. Once you've passed, your turn is over for this age. So in the solo game, you're gonna you're gonna roll your dice and then buy anything you want or, or do one of the three actions. And then the AI goes rolling its D4. Whatever number it rolls, it will take the bottom tile from that row. And and then you go again. You keep going back and forth doing this. Anything that the AI buys is just discarded. The AI doesn't have a board or anything. It's just it's something it took away and is gone. It's gone as a choice to you. And, and so you'll play you'll play the whole round this way, and score you know and reach the end of the round, do the event and the and the books, and go on to the next stage. So what do you think of the solo game, Albert? I like it a lot. I really like this solo game. I've played I've played it multiplayer and I've played it solo and they're both fun and, and and really similar though the solo game I think ends up being a well really similar. The you, you lose a couple of things in the solo game. Mainly the the turn order. The the change in the turn order. And in the multiplayer game, right, whoever has the most swords at the end at the the turn order phase will go first. In the solo game, it doesn't matter. You always go first. So the, the swords lose a little bit of importance because of that. But the uh, the game overall is really fun. I've, I find I've played it, I don't know, I think like 30 times solo already. And it doesn't get boring. Every game is fun. It's very random. But you still have a lot of meaningful choices every turn. I mean, you, you could choose which, you got to choose which tile to buy. And it's not just 
the cheapest is always the best choice. That's not the case. Um, there's different strategies you can take when you play. You could decide to go for lots of wonders, in which case you really want to focus on, on blue dice or blue tokens if they're available. And it, it may be a case that there's two or three things you want, and you got to choose which one do you want the most, knowing that when the AI takes his turn, he may roll the number for one of the other ones. You know? And, and surely enough, if I really want these two things really badly, and I hope he doesn't roll either one, I'm, I'm going to take number one, he's going to roll the other one. Guaranteed. It, it always messes me up that way. So I think it's a very, very fun solo I agree. game. I also feel like sometimes that die is out to get me. I just, uh, the, the first thing I did when I got it was I replaced the D4, the, the Caltrops, with a rollable D4. <laughs> yes. With a, a better D4. I did the same thing. I got a... Um, what kind of D4 do you have? It's made by Q Workshops. But it's only got two sides. The, it curves around. Oh, Each neat. side curves around. And so it's got a number Mine- each end. Neat. Uh, mine is a rollable D. It's a rollable D four by Coplow, and the way it works is it's actually a D twelve, and it just has one, two, three, four repeated three times each. So, but either way, like it, as I'm rolling it a bunch, I just felt like I I definitely needed that one because I like this game and I've been pulling it out. This game can just fly through if you're playing it solo. I think that I've managed to get a solo game down to fifteen minutes or so, not including setup time. And, you know, I can get this game going very quickly, and I like that aspect. It's a quick uh, quick game, but it does have some strategy about, well, what do I want to focus on and what's going to tie in, especially what's going to tie in with the dice that I already have rolled, which I like. Also, to a certain degree, I like how it does imitate pretty pretty well the, the sort of feeling that you get when you're trying to play against a regular player, because they will they often grab the thing that you want, but often they're not. And you don't really know what it is they're going to get. Sometimes they'll try and predict you, but most of the time it doesn't really tie in, and you don't really know. So I like how it does. Uh, it does feel like I'm playing against a regular opponent, and it does feel challenging, and it does feel dynamic. Now the game is kind of light. So for example, sometimes the tiles will be on three, even though they don't make any difference or any th- reason why they should be on three, other than that's just the way that it turned up. So there's no accounting for the predictability of what's going to be more expensive. There's no real reason why they should be more expensive. It's just random. Um, similarly with the dice, it's going to be completely random what it is that it comes up with. But, you know, I think that for a lighter game, it's not Nations the card game, it's Nations the dice game. And, you know, for a, a lighter game, I like it. I like the amount of strategy that it has in it, the amount of thought that it has in it, and the amount of planning that it has in it. I like it. Yeah, I agree. You know, the the fact that everything's different each time you play is not bad. You, you know, like you said, the tile may cost one this turn, next next game you play it costs three. And each time you set it up, you have to now look at what your choices are and see what you wrote and figure out what what's your best choices with what you got. What's the best moves you can make? And there's de- there's definitely a fair amount of thinking in that, you know, light thinking, which is a weird thing to say, but yeah, it's great fun. It really is, and it's fast. Yeah. And even the multiplayer game is really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's is there is. anything else to say about it. I don't know. I mean, other than the fact that it's a whole ton okay. of custom dice, which if you've listened to me before, I love the whole ton of custom dice. Yes. Yeah, they they are fun, and you you're gonna roll out each game. Nice bright colors, good icons. This game has a lot of different strategies to winning too. It's not you know there isn't a single best strategy. 
You could you could go for a game where you're you're trying to do a lot of wonders. You could go for a lot of tiles. Oops, Julius is gone. Oh no, the first one was one hour and 21 minutes. So it did, right, see, so where did this time it captured off? the whole thing. Where did we finish off? I was about to mention something. Oh, I, we were talking about how you have a lot of choices. In this, in this game, every time you play, there's more than one path to victory. You could choose to, to, to focus on buying shits and, and getting guaranteed resources every turn. You can maybe focus on war... And and get a lot of those green uh, territories, a lot of the territory tiles, and get victory points that way. You could choose to focus on books and get a lot of victory points ver versus using books. And, and you never focus on just a single one, but you you can focus on certain types of strategies. I mean, I think the focus really comes on which type of dice you try and buy first. Are you trying to buy blue dice or red yep. dice? Yep. And you know, in some games there, you don't have a choice because there's no red dice. But some games you get you get to pick from things and. And it could really affect how how the rest of the game pans out, and I yep, think yep. that's really interesting. And actually, I think in the multiplayer game that that happens more, where your choice can can have a bigger impact on the game. Yep, yep, very true. And it's a different sort of choice each time, like you said, because sometimes different tiles goes up, and sometimes you just can't deal with it. Because I know my personal preference is to go big into blue and then buy a bunch of. Um, buy as many wonders as I can and then build them all. But that's that's just because that's the one I like and I don't often get that mm -hmm. one just because the dice don't love me. Well, and it seems in solo game that that's really a good strategy because especially in the fourth age, the, the most victory points come from the wonders if they show up in the fourth age. Right? True. But yes, yeah, you could get six or seven points while the different territories might only give you one or two. But that's only for the end because they're really expensive. Like for the wonders, it'll be seven for that, and that could be three dice. So, mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, you don't need to go. That's not the that's not the winning strategy. Take it from me, that is not the <laughs> winning strategy. Um, you know, sometimes it works, and sometimes you'll win with that. And I think even I was watching the solo online, and I saw like the top four or something happened to do that. But that's not to say that it's always going to be the winning strategy. Because, you know, the dice just may not like you, as they That's often right. don't like me. Now, the one thing I dislike about the solo game is the, the way the books work, where the AI rolls the dice randomly. Um, you know, where it rolls one blue die or two blue die, depending on the age. Because it, it, it's so random that way. You know, one, one game, it may roll no books. Another game, it may roll as many as 12 books or even more. I've had games where I had, like, topping that book track all the way to 30 i think right yep and it's, i can't compete with that that's impossible and that's when you give up and you don't spend any dice on books <laughs> well yeah but and, and that's the thing it, I, I always it, it ends up being a non-choice many games true so yeah so that's nations it, it, it is a neat game very very highly recommended definitely one of my favorite games right now yep agreed i i, would, I don't know if it's one of my favorite games but it's definitely one that we're enjoying playing okay but we're also kind of, you know, we, we definitely are the cult of the new type. We like the new games. Yeah, always. <laughs> All right. So that that's a show. That was a show? I think that's it, unless there's anything else. I can't believe. We I don't know. I'm, I'm, un I'm unfamiliar with it. It's been a while since we did this. Yeah. Oh, do we have any um, solo stories? We haven't had that in a long time. <laughs> 
Oh God, I totally forgot about Solo Source. I told you it's been a while yeah. since that. Yeah, we had a big Solo Story. You know what it was? It's Gen Camp. <laughs> okay, everybody wins. All right. So then, that's the end of the show, people. Thank you for listening. We're out of practice. Sorry about that. It'll get better someday. <laughs> no, it won't. It'll be just as much fun to listen to. It's much more fun when we have no idea what we're doing. I think so. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The OnePlayer Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.